Welcome to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. This is your host, CK, ready to introduce you to Kyle Davies. Before we get into the episode with the fantastic hedge fund manager and partner at Three Arrows Capital, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, Alto IRA. Launched in 2018, Alto is on a mission to empower people to own their financial futures. They are the leading platform for individuals to invest in alternative assets within an IRA savings vehicle. Alternative assets include real estate, equity, crowdfunding, and now cryptocurrencies. They have partnered with Coinbase to allow you to invest and trade in Bitcoin, Ether, and other popular cryptocurrencies, all within the benefits of an IRA account. So why would you use Alto's Crypto IRA? Well, if you're a trader, this allows you to defer taxes until you are ready to claim your IRA when you retire. So that means you can trade every single day. You can do everything that you wanted, but you don't have to count all the pennies on those short-term capital gains. It is all deferred until later. This is a fantastic way for you to get exposure within a traditional or Roth IRA vehicle as well as investing in the most cutting edge and innovative cryptocurrencies out there. Personally, I am a fan of Bitcoin. And if there's a way for me to get exposure in my IRA account for Bitcoin, I'm going to do it. And this is a far better way than buying something like GBTC that has a massive premium. This allows you to trade on the convenience of one of the best trading interfaces in Coinbase Pro or in Coinbase proper, and you get 24-hour trading. It's completely tax-free until you pull out of the IRA when you retire. There are minimum investments as low as $10, and it could never be easier to get exposure to Bitcoin and Ethereum in the most tax-efficient way possible. If you're interested in learning more about Alto IRA, visit their website at www.altoira.com backslash POV crypto for more information. Again, visit at www.altoira.com backslash POV crypto so they know we sent you there. That's enough of the sponsor. Now let's jump right into the show. This was a fantastic episode with Kyle Davies. Kyle is a second time comer to POV crypto and he is just so, so knowledgeable about the crypto space. He's playing with a lot more money than the average investor, and he knows how the whales are moving the market. He understands the dynamic of the market. He's invested in exchanges like Darabit. He's a massive buyer of crypto and borrower of crypto from other big institutions like BlockFi. I could not recommend Kyle more as a resource. Without any further ado, let's just get right into this episode with Kyle Davies of Three Arrows Capital. Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good for a Tuesday. So long week ahead of me, but excited to, uh, to have Kyle Davies from Three Arrows back on the podcast. I was just lurking Kyle on Twitter, and he was saying a lot of bullish shit about Ethereum, and I was a little confused. So I was like, hey, Kyle, why don't you get on the podcast and... Let's talk about how uh, how you value crypto assets. Welcome back. How's it going? Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, by the way. Um, 
we've been good. We've been in lockdown, haven't left the home in like two months, but um, feeling bullish. Why, why are you feeling bullish? Tell us about that. To be clear, we're, we're, we're bullish Bitcoin and Ethereum. But from my, yeah, from my perspective, we had uh, a, a pretty big position before the uh, halving. And post-halving, my take on the market right now is we're seeing uh, lots of buyers, new buyers for that matter, coming into the market. But we're also seeing some sellers and some resistance on the Bitcoin side. And I definitely think this will go through at some point. Uh, that is to say the 10K level will break. Uh, it, it broke yesterday. And then we did a BART formation right back down. Classic but BART. There's, 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 yeah, there's very Bitcoin, right? Um, but there's, um, but there's, there's something there. There, there. There's some resistance there. Really not clear on exactly the size of it. And I'm just not seeing that on Ethereum. On Ethereum, I'm seeing lots of enthusiasm. I'm seeing uh, similarly new entrants. And I like the narrative of the staking, ETH2 staking coming up, um, which I think you know, could, could provide a nice catalyst that, that is even more sustained too. So Kyle, before we get further, uh, let's talk about where you come from and, and who you are in this space to give our listeners the context. You use the phrase we just now, as in we are seeing this. Now, are you talking about we as in like all of crypto Twitter or are, is that we as in you and Three Arrows Capital, the, the company that you work for? Three Arrows is a hedge fund. Uh, there's two partners, me and Sue, uh, Suzu. Um, and uh, we... I guess the, the, the we that I'm referring to there is probably just me and Sue, right? Um, but uh, we have uh, a couple other traders as well. Uh, we run some basis trading strategies, market neutral stuff. Uh, we run a borrow and lending desk. Um, we do some primary investment as well. Uh, most notably, we did, we did uh, investment in Deribit and BlockFi uh, recently. But yeah, when I'm talking about uh, Bitcoin or ETH positions, th- those are generally my own, but the we that I'm referring to is three arrows. So what sort of information do you have as a result of three arrows that like maybe me and Christian as degenerate tweeters and, and very amateur traders would not have? Like what, when you, when you say like yeah. what you are seeing, what are you actually seeing that most people wouldn't actually have access to? Yeah, I would say two, two main things. Uh, one would be uh, OTC flows. And it's not like we run a large OTC desk. But we do trade with a lot of OTC desk and we ask for color constantly on, on what's happening and what people are seeing. And I think the break yesterday, break on upwards past through through 10K, was reasonably flagged to us actually that there would be there were there were substantial buyers and maybe some of the mining flows that we're selling had had tapered off a little bit. But uh, but yeah, that, it's it's mainly like an OTC flow or it is a, a borrow. Uh, so the borrow market is very important in crypto and has really uh, grown quite substantially in the past couple of years, that, that's meaningful. Uh, and, and just for, for people that aren't familiar, if you want to short Bitcoin, there are a couple ways you can do it. One is you can go on BitMEX and you can go, you know, uh, or, or Deribit and uh, dump some, you know, derivatives, just click the sell button. But the other way you can do it is you can borrow and sell. Uh, that, that's the way that a stock loan borrow would work, would work in equities or, or other markets as well. And so that's really important to you know, to the, to the direction of the market and the flows of an arbitrage trading desk, which we have, uh, it's all connected. So when I want to buy or sell Bitcoin or, or Ether, I go to Gemini or Coinbase and I hit the sell or buy button. So why, how are your customers meaningfully different and who do they represent in, instead sure. of retail customers that are on Coinbase? Yeah, I should be clear. We don't have customers per se. We're, we're, sure. we're a, a, a hedge fund where 
uh, we have no outside investors. Right. I mean, okay. Sure. Right. So, um, so for us, if we want to trade OTC, or, or mm-hmm. sorry, if we want to trade Bitcoin, basically we're trading OTC. Um, there are some exchanges where we get particularly good deals, and maybe there's a couple aggregators that we can use. Um, but by and large, I'm really not interested in connecting to 20 different venues and trying to create very sophisticated algorithms to trade. If I just want to buy, you know, a meaningful amount of Bitcoin or, or sell, you know, a meaningful amount or, what, or basically trade in any way, I'm trading with an OTC counterparty. And, and the, so the largest there would be guys like Jump, Cumberland, FTX, Galaxy, Genesis has a desk. The, those guys would, I think, make up more than 90% of our flow. Before we got on, you wanted to talk about some of the activities that you and Sue have been doing uh, at Three Arrows and a recent investment in Deribit, which has been absolutely exploding with their, uh, is it Perpetual Swap product? Can you talk a little bit about Deribit and that, and that investment? Well, I should preface this by saying we're not a venture capital firm. So we're not actively seeking investments. We're not getting lots of deal flow. We are rather a large trading firm. And sometimes we're very strategic. So in the BlockFi instance, I'm, I believe they're largest borrowers. So I, for us to be a strategic investment, investor in the firm makes a lot of sense for me. Uh, and Deribit is quite similar. So um, we trade a lot on the exchange. Uh, we sue rights for their research portal called Deribit Insights. And they were looking to do a uh, equity round, basically some minority shareholders uh, that had early developers or whoever that are not really investors, but had shares and they just are up a lot, uh, wanted liquidity. Um, and so we bought them out. And yeah, so we're, I believe, the second largest external investor in Deribit now. And we've been trying to help them with some, you know, the, maybe the Asian marketing or the, uh, uh, their Asian build out. If I, if, I guess if I look at Deribit, you know, from a uh, 35,000 foot level, uh, I would say their product is obviously dominant, right? I mean, they have 90 plus percent market share. They've had lots of competition along the way. They, they, they beat everyone basically on that side. The, the areas that they had been weak were uh, when we invested, the site was in English. If you were Chinese, Korean, uh, Russian, uh, they have a lot of Russian clients, uh, Brazil, um, if, if you were in any other market, they, there was no way to service that client in their language. And so they, they did that. The other side is the technical side. They were, they had for the longest time, their server was in Strasbourg, uh, which is not really an international major co-location hub for, for trading. And they, they, they moved that to London and a hub in Hong Kong. So this is, uh, that was another thing that, you know, we saw would, would make a big difference in them. But yeah, basically we're trying, to, we're in Asia, they're based in Amsterdam, and part of our, our plan is to help bring on more Asian clients, do some more marketing out here, um, and, and things of that nature. So what does Deribit represent uh, as infrastructure for crypto space? Why is Deribit important? Why do we need things and products and services that uh, Deribit offers? When people think of Deribit, they think of options. Their Bitcoin options market just passed uh, $1 billion in open interest. And their ETH options, by the way, have also been on fire. Their ETH volumes kind of come and go with the excitement around ETH. But I can tell you the past month has been phenomenal. Um, so it's both Bitcoin, it's both and ETH. And options are an important instrument. I mean, if you look at um, other asset classes, they're used for hedging, obviously speculation, but main, a, a lot of hedging. And they fit very well in a uh, leverage perp swap future spot market, you know, borrow market, they fit very well within that. Other markets, equities, 
FX, uh, options trade about 70% or, or more the volume of futures. In crypto, it's way less. And I'm bullish. I think, uh, I think that I think people are going to be trading more options. You think, you think the options are underrepresented in their volume than what they would normally be or what they will be in the future? Is that what you're saying? Very much so. I, I hope Deribit maintains their market share. Uh, but uh, look at CME. Uh, their options have been growing massively. And, and again, Deribit does not have U.S. clients. Uh, CME mainly services U.S. clients. It's all, they also service more institutions. So I don't really consider them competitors anyway. It's all part of the same ecosystem. Look, would love to see more options exchanges in general. But options everywhere are growing. And I just, if you told me this 10x year on year, like two, two years in a row, I, w- I would say, okay, then it finally caught up to like where it should be in perp swaps. Let's talk about your, your Bitcoin and Ethereum thesis. Very few people, I feel like this is just polarizing, right? And maybe I'm, maybe I'm in a bubble, but it seems like there's not a lot of people that have really intelligent reasons why to be bullish on both. It's usually they kind of, you know, they, they're kind of uh, investing in one kind of means for going the other. So I'm kind of curious, what is, like, how do you view both of these assets? I guess I would start by saying a lot of those people are quite biased, right? So let's, let's say you're a fund. You're managing other people's money. You can't say you're going to go buy a bunch of Bitcoin. That, that, that's not an, who's going to pay you two and 20 fees to invest, to go buy a Bitcoin. That's not an investable thesis. So that, that VC or hedge fund, you know, is, is precluded from saying we're going to buy and hold Bitcoin. Likewise, they can't say they're going to buy and hold a bunch of Ethereum. Uh, it can be a short-term thesis for them. It can be part of a diversified portfolio. It can be part of an active portfolio, but they simply cannot say we're going to buy Bitcoin or buy Ethereum and hold it. You have that camp for sure, right? And then you have other people that are entrenched in either the Ethereum ecosystem or the Bitcoin ecosystem, unlikely also to say that they like both. So I, for me, I'm a private investor. Uh, I don't answer to investors. I don't investor to uh, a particular community by things that, that I think are going up. And uh, I think both are going up. I think uh, the Bitcoin thesis is very strong. Or having noise was, uh, was very good for, for Bitcoin. But my thesis around Bitcoin is a c- couple things. Uh, post having, I think issuance is quite small uh, relative to uh, new buyers. Grayscale is a phenomenal instrument um, for, for Bitcoin. Uh, I've seen some... Uh, interesting debates on crypto Twitter, but Grayscale is one of the best things that ever happened to Bitcoin. Um, and is one of the largest bull cases for Bitcoin. It's a one-way train. You lock up Bitcoin in Grayscale and it doesn't come out. <laughs> the, uh, the only way it would come out is you dis- if you dissolve the trust and then were to sell it. But it's a one-way train. So yeah, I've heard the argument that yeah, hedge funds are just doing the arbitrage. You know, it's a buy and sell flow. It's not, it, this is not true. It, it is the hedge fund may be facilitating that flow, but that is a one-way train where people are accumulating Bitcoin and locking it up. There, there are a couple of things, reasons to be very bullish around Bitcoin. And uh, Ethereum, I just feel like the next six months are very much uh, an Ethereum-based story. Um, it, it will dominate the narrative. I think uh, the staking is a huge deal relative to a $25 billion asset. There really hasn't been a whole lot you can do with Ethereum <laughs> for the past you know, some odd years. There's some things for sure. But I think if you ask the average person what their yield was on, you know, what their big yield is on Bitcoin right now, they would tell you six to 8%. We lend it to BlockFi, you know, or someone else and, or a trading firm and you, you can earn, a, you know, yield. If you were to ask someone what 
is what are you doing with Ethereum? I think the average person would say it's in cold storage or it's on an exchange or, or it's earning a relatively low amount. I think that changes on staking because I think people will immediately then say there's a lot I can do with Ethereum, starting with staking. It's interesting that people would say that you, there's not much to do with Ethereum because a lot of people in the ETH community will push that criticism on Bitcoin. Like there's nothing to do with Bitcoin. You can just hold it. You can do all this stuff in DeFi and all these apps with Ethereum. It's actually useful. Like why, why is that the opposite of what, you know, the people you interact with say? Uh, so I would say ETH is a $25 billion asset. If you look at the uh, DeFi space, we're, we're, I, we're sitting in a, you know, a couple of groups. Uh, the, I think there's a Chicago DeFi Alliance and a couple of these other ones that we we're trying to participate in. And, um, and we do participate in DeFi with uh, several of the projects. The reality is it's just very small right now. It's growing, it's growing at phenomenal rates. I have a, a large thesis. We, did, we just invested in a fund actually that does it's only DeFi. Uh, it's the only thing they do. Um, so I uh, am very bullish that thesis, but I think if you look at relative to the size of the asset, basically the staking, uh, E2 staking is very material. That, 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 that's what I'll say. You look at the size of E2 staking and you look at the size of the uh, people getting yield in DeFi right now, I will say that, the, you know, there's a material change happening there. Bitcoin, there's a lot you can do with Bitcoin. It powers the entire centralized trading ecosystem. Um, so I, as a trading firm, I'm looking to borrow. The only two things we really borrow are stablecoin or dollars and Bitcoin, because those are the things I can use as collateral on an exchange to trade uh, derivatives, perp swap, you know, op options. Generally speaking, ETH is not really used as a collateral on an exchange. There's a couple exceptions. Deribit ETH options, you can use ETH collateral. There's plenty of DeFi uh, instances as well. But I think if you looked at relative to the size of the asset class, relative to the amount of trading that's happening, generally speaking, Bitcoin is the dominant form of centralized um, collateral. You were talking about how uh, Grayscale is the most, one of the most bullish things for Bitcoin because it's just sucking up all the Bitcoin and it's like a, a one-way street. And the same is true for, for Ether, right? Like Ether on the, the e ETH trust on, on Grayscale, the ETH E-Trust on, on Grayscale, it's people are, are paying for shares of Ethereum that are valued at like $1,800 a pop just because of the uh, uh, discrepancy between the value of the E ETH each grayscale trust asset and then the actual value of the underlying, which means that there's just constant uh, flow of also of ether in the same way, a one way street into the trust. Do you have any information or data that we can compare the rates of flow between Bitcoin into grayscale and ether into grayscale? Do you, do you have any insights there? I personally would estimate almost hundred percent of subscriptions are going to be in kind. Um, so that, that's your benchmark. And yeah, there's been pretty substantial uh, subscriptions into both. Uh, ETH is new. Uh, it's just about a year old, uh, whereas Bitcoin's been around since 2013, actually. Tradable since 2015. So yeah, the Ethereum one is new. It's very exciting. Uh, the people have subscribed haven't been able to sell yet. So yes, it's trading at a oh, like 700% premium or something uh, like that, according to yesterday. Volumes are material, by the way. I think uh, Bitcoin Trust traded over 100 million yesterday. ETH Trust traded over 25 million. So the volumes are material. Yeah, I, I would say to the detractors who would say our firms are just about to sell and then, you know, game's over. Well, when they sell, they also have to buy Ethereum. 
they have to buy the spot, right? Because mm -hmm. any art firm will have to deliver that Ethereum in some way to someone, right? So, so yes, uh, you, you will see sell pressure for sure on the Ethereum or Bitcoin um, on the, uh, the shares of, of, of the Grayscale products. But on the underlying itself, anyone that subscribed in kind, which I would estimate is pretty high, is, is going to be buying the spot market. So that is material. You know, there's a lot of talk about what does an ETF mean for Bitcoin? Uh, what, yeah. I guess, in, in your opinion, you know, does, does Bitcoin, Ethereum, do they actually need ETFs? Or do products like uh, GBTC and um, Grayskull's products good enough? Yeah, there are a couple others coming out. I mean, recently there's a Bitcoin trust in Toronto, right? That just launched. It's a Gemini-backed project. But I just, I, yeah, so a bit for, for the audience, uh, a ETF, generally speaking, is a two-way product. You can subscribe and redeem. Uh, so you can keep the nav relatively close to a fair value, depending on how efficient the subscription redemption process is. Uh, the Grayscale Trusts are a one-way train. You can subscribe, you can't redeem. So it, it, they're accumulator, uh, accumulating the, the underlying, basically. Unless they were to be dissolved. Different that would be the only way to Austrian redeem. money, right? Where Austrian money is like, if, there, if it's Austrian and there's a one-way accumulator, that changes economics and in in it's just more, it's amplifying, right? Is that a correct take? Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, it, it's not true. So there's always a way to subscribe and redeem mm -hmm. in some way, right? So for the, for the Grayscale Trust, you would have to dissolve the trust. Like, right. it, you, you can't do it. There is a custody of the Bitcoin for the Bitcoin Trust. Um, mm -hmm. I believe it's uh, Coinbase actually. And if you were to dissolve that trust, you could take those coins, you know, and you could, you know, you could, it's not like they disappeared off the face of the earth. The mechanism for it is very different than if you had, uh, you know, a very efficient ETF. An ETF will, you, you can do subscriptions and redemptions just at a smaller cost base. And yeah, I, what I would say is, um, I mean, more products are better, uh, more, more, more people that could buy is, is is obviously better for the, for everyone, um, but I, I really don't see the need for for an ETF. If there was one, that'd be great. But yeah, I, there there, there is uh, something very similar in in Toronto right now, and uh, I, I, not a huge AUM. Let's put it that way. So at the very beginning of about this, Christian talked about how like it's it's odd that someone is bullish both because this space is so polarizing. Uh, and you know, usually people are forced forced into one camp or uh, or another. Granted, investors and fund managers uh, like generally don't fall into this camp. I would say they're you know obviously you're incentivized to look at reality, and I'm pretty sure it's non. Uh, it's pretty objective to say that it's to its right to be bullish on both assets. However, this whole entire crypto paradigm is not about valuing your assets in dollars anymore, right? Like one BTC is one BTC and one ETH is one ETH. And so ultimately the, the important, shut up Christian. <laughs> uh, ultimately it's about like, okay, which is the right thing to denominate your, your asset in. And so like, it's really about ETH versus BTC, not Bitcoin dollar price versus ether dollar price it's bitcoin versus ether so like what's your opinion there and do you have an opinion on which one is more bullish yeah i'll give a pretty straight answer on this one uh i agree you need to denominate if you're materially in the crypto game you should be denominating in crypto i am a trading firm trading ecosystem is powered by bitcoin as collateral i denominate in bitcoin okay but which one are you more bullish on 
like the the mostly important <laughs> most importantly the ratio i i think in the maybe it's just the ethereum space we call this the ratio as in the ratio between ether and bitcoin you pay attention to the ratio i okay i'm overweight eth right now but i own both um and i denominate in bitcoin so um that i think is that like yeah i i think i think if you were a crypto trader and not denominated in bitcoin i would say well what are you posting as collateral everywhere like how are, you, how are you doing this right um and but yeah you can uh we i would say overweight theorem right now i guess what you're saying is short term you're bullish on ethereum as a trader but you're still denominating is in bitcoin so i guess long term how like wh- where's your kind of perspective there because it seems as though bitcoin's moneyness is pretty dominant yeah, 100% agree. Uh, so for me as a trader, I almost feel like I have to denominate in Bitcoin because it is the collateral that we post everywhere. It's either that or dollars, right? Um, or stablecoin, right? So um, I think I could name on uh, one hand the exchanges that we can post Ethereum. Um, so I, it's not rational for me to denominate in Ethereum as a trader. The, uh, and what I mean by that is like if the market were to scale up, let's say Bitcoin doubles, I got to trade some futures uh, versus spot. And I was 10% of the open interest. Bitcoin doubles, the, 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 let's say the volume also doubles. I think my balance sheet needs to be four times as big. If ETH doubles, I, like that, that doesn't mean anything to me as a trader. Uh, as an investor, yeah, I'd make more money. But like as a trader, it means like nothing to me. Yeah, so I, I guess what I would say is, you asked like short-term versus long-term thesis. I don't like seeing resistance at 10K for Bitcoin. Um, and I don't see that resistance for ETH right now. Um, And I see a strong narrative for ETH around ETH 2.0 staking. I I, I think it's perfectly rational for me to be long both uh, in some ratio and um, yeah, and to be overweighty. The other narrative I've I've heard that I'm super bullish on is Bitcoin on Ethereum. Uh, WBTC kind of hit like a wet paper towel for a really long time up until yep. very recently where WPTC has absolutely just flooded into the Ethereum ecosystem right yep. after it got added as collateral on MakerDAO. And then RenBTC is also issuing Bitcoin on Ethereum that, it's, that is holding its value. Uh, TBTC has struggled to get out the door, but it looks like that that is starting to work and also become a, a thing on Ethereum. Uh, how do you view... Uh, tokenize Bitcoin on Ethereum as, um, uh, how, do you, how do you view that? What, what, what opinions do you have when you, when you see that happen? So I, I'm not a venture investor. So I, I, what I would say is it's very small right now. <laughs> um, if it were to become bigger to the point that I can trade it like in a material way, then I would happily, you know, it, it would be great. Um, but I, in terms of like a venture thesis uh, for Ethereum or for Bitcoin, um, I don't know if I have anything intelligent to add there. Um, it's the whole DeFi space in general, as a trader, there's not a whole lot like I can do quite yet, right? Um, so what we have done is we have invested in some uh, projects. I'm not going to name them, but <laughs> we have invested in some and we have allocated to a fund which does exclusively trading and investment. So that has been the way that I've participated in that. So mm-hmm. yeah, if he were to do something with TBTC or RAPTC or whatever, then that would be great. But I like as a trading firm, it's just not quite there yet where I can I can I can do anything that, in meaningful size. Is that just because it's too small? The liquidity is too low, volume is too low. That and the costs don't add up, and uh, yields don't aren't quite there. Um, so 
Yeah, like for, for, for example, I was doing the math the other day for, um, and, and we've seen some uh, uh, derivative platforms, uh, on DeFi der, uh, derivative platforms coming up. So DYDX obviously is a big one right now, but there's a number of others um, that um, I've just done a couple calls with. It, it, it looks relatively unsolved to me still. Like it, it, if one of them works, that'd be wonderful. I'd, I'd love to use it. But uh, right now, I, it, 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 if I just compare it versus uh, you know, literally any liquid derivative exchange in crypto, it, it, it doesn't quite add up. So I think it's one of those things that's like, it's burgeoning, it's growing, um, and, uh, and we are invested in the space, very much so, but I have to think of that more as our like investment, primary investment side, and less as our actual trading like core business. In your opinion, what is it going to take for DeFi to, or the DeFi ecosystem to be able to compete with the centralized ecosystem? Because in my mind, like, unless there are really, really powerful ways to stop people from trading on CeFi and to censor CeFi and to make that activity actually difficult, it's not going to be worth the cost to pay to make every transaction on Ethereum. Like it's just too expensive for the censorship resistance that is actually required. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with you. That's why it hasn't been so big thus far. Like the, uh, yeah, there's some layer two solutions. Um, uh, I think uh, a lot of people are looking at like, you know, layer two matching and then you settle back on chain kind of solutions. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I agree with you. The, the, the rate of uh, the pace of, of uh, product release for a centralized exchange is just far faster. And the reality is that most people just don't care or they can have enough trust in a centralized exchange to think that it's, you know, not worth the extra cost to put it fully, uh, you know, uh, in a decentralized way yet. So yeah, I agree. Like if there was a, a huge crackdown, maybe DeFi takes off massively. Uh, or if, uh, if there's some big innovations on the cost side um, in sort of scalability or, something there that, that that would be huge too but yeah uh i, I agree with you. It, the comparison DeFi to cfi is is aspirational i would say right now within the DeFi ecosystem it, it, you can pick the winners and you can try to find and there is a lot of activity going on but if you compare the cfi to DeFi, i i don't know like I, it's hard to it's hard to i, I don't think it's there yet do you consider EIP-1559 when you think about Ether and its narrative and where it is in its story? Yes, sorry. I should have mentioned that before. That's huge. Uh, yeah. those, those would be the two things, staking and e, uh, uh, those, are, those are the two big ones. Cool. Um, that yeah. my question. Cool. <laughs> Wait, I'm actually I'm kind of curious there because I, in, in like the, I'm not an economist, so uh, maybe I'm, I just don't know what I'm talking about, but having money destruction being part of the protocol, I feel like is counterproductive to Ethereum being an apl application layer. Like that yeah, makes I, using Ethereum more expensive. Yeah, uh, uh, agree with you. Uh, so, so, you, so your argument is that uh, if they implement 1559, ETH will go up so much that no one will want to use it anymore because it'll be too expensive. And I would say, cool thesis, maybe we should invest right now. Uh, but <laughs> they, um, but like, um, yeah, like I agree in the end state, because Bitcoin in general, the, the, the logic is very much about the end, the end state, the end game. End state, the end game. Yeah, I agree. Like, who knows? Maybe this is, maybe there's not a, much you can do on Ethereum if everything's really expensive to do, right? Um, uh, there's a similar argument for Polkadot, by the way, 
where, who knows, like maybe it's too hard to get a uh, pair chain, right? Uh, or too expensive to get a pair chain, right? So this argument holds in many different ways, but uh, as, as an investor in like a six month to one year plus time frame, I mean, you just stated my bullish thesis, yeah. It seems as though you're pretty confident that in the next six months to a year that the the teams behind Ethereum 2 are actually going to be able to deliver, one, and then two, that there's going to be a meaningful transition over into the ETH2 ecosystem, despite the fact that there's no expressiveness, there's none of this stuff that actually makes differentiates Ethereum one from from you know a, a more simple cryptocurrency. Yeah, and again, I'm not I'm not a technical person, so I if ETH two I, I had a tweet the other day. If, if ETH two launches, it'll be the biggest success of 2020. If it doesn't, then it'll be the biggest failure. I, I believe that if it, if they fail to do to have some sort of beacon chain staking in 2020, that's a huge failure. I just don't think it's very likely. But if, if they, and if they succeed, then that's a huge step in the right direction. Um, and it's, it will materially impact, I think, the, a, lo- a lot of things. Because it will finally mean that the, there is like a baseline yield for ETH. There's a baseline use case for ETH. Whereas a lot of people right now, I'd argue, have it doing nothing, right? Some people in DeFi, but, but a lot of people doing nothing. Not true in Bitcoin. And a lot of people in Bitcoin are using it for something as collateral to trade, for borrow and lending, for other things, right? Yeah, and then ETH2, uh, if they, you know, don't figure out sharding or something like that, that'd be really bad. But I, I, I don't know. I mean... I really don't have a strong thesis. There are smarter people than me working on it. <laughs> I really don't know whether uh, sharding will be a great thing or maybe they do, everything does, happens on ETH1. I, I really don't have a strong thesis. Do you think about at all like this idea of the Bitcoin and Ethereum ecosystems kind of converging a little bit? I feel like that is a theme of this mm-hmm. podcast in general. And do you take that kind of idea into account with you know how, how you go about evaluating these platforms? Yeah, I mean, I think they're inextricably linked in a lot of ways. Um, namely, like a lot of the same, if you're a trader, you're likely going to have Bitcoin and ETH on the same, you know, screen, right? And, or on the same exchange, right? And uh, same goes for DeFi. I think there's a lot of, you know, people trying to bring in Bitcoin as a collateral because Bitcoin is the collateral powering a lot of crypto period right now. So bringing that onto Ethereum would, be, would hopefully be a, a meaningful thing uh, for that community. But yeah, I, I do think they're inextricably linked in a lot of ways. And it's, you know, I, I would just argue that the last couple of years have been more exper- a lot of experiments, right? Some failures, some successes, a lot of experiments. Maybe the next three years will be much, much more about delivery. Part of this stitching together of these chains, which I totally believe in, um, depends on tokenized Bitcoin on Ethereum and those these two chains yep. actually began, beginning to communicate with each other. However, the... Uh, alternative thesis is that Bitcoin gets all of its utility from centralized exchanges and free banking. Like Nick, Nick Carter is one of those individuals that goes after like Bitcoin will emerge upon the world via a free banking revolution. Um, Do you have opinions on this tug of war between Bitcoin coming to the world inside of DeFi versus Bitcoin coming to the world inside of centralized financial institutions? Yeah, I don't think it's come. Bitcoin's not come to the world through DeFi. I don't think. I think it is, DeFi is trying to bring Bitcoin, you know, community or holders into Ethereum, right? Or into, onto DeFi to do more things. Um, but I think in terms of, like, it would behoove everyone if just more people got involved in crypto, like period. Um, and there's many ways to onboard them. Uh, 
traders usually are onboarded by some sort of arbitrage, for example. Almost like almost everyone I know was onboarded because they saw some discrepancy somewhere where they could buy something, sell something, and lock in some small gain or whatever, right? It's true on uh, true in DeFi as well. Um, that's a great way to onboard people, frankly. <laughs> once they're in, they're hooked, and then they, and then they start becoming hodlers, and they just start maybe even funding some projects or becoming developers. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think it's a. I I, I think uh, maybe one big thing in 2020 is it doesn't have to be such a big uh, conflict between the Bitcoin and Ethereum community because there's other things happening. That having brought in a lot more people to to, to Bitcoin, right? Um, not from Ethereum, but like from the outside world. And ETH2 staking likely will also bring in a lot of new people from the outside uh, and new projects on it will bring in people from the outside. And that's better for everyone. Well, I'll tell you this. I think one of the best ways to onboard noobs is to tell them that they can get 8.6% on their stable coins in BlockFi. I've had some people that have had difficulty with, with Bitcoin. They still get, oh, shit. I am getting 1.3% in my high yield savings account that I'm jumping through hoops to put money into. Yep. If I just jump through a little bit more hoops, I could 4X that. Um, and that's definitely a great way to bring people into the crypto ecosystem. 100% agree. We've seen a lot of that. Guys Guys that uh, they don't even really care too much what's happening. They just want to make sure their like, funds are reasonably safe and understand you know, who they're facing. But yeah, they're, they're very excited about the like, 8 to 10% yield um, on uh, dollars, we 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 would pay higher, by the way. Right now, I think we'd pay like around eleven percent or so on dollars, uh, around eight percent on Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, if you can reach an end counterparty that for meaningful size, that works. But if you're uh, you know a smaller retail or whatever, and you just want your yield on your on your dollars, that 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 gets people into it, and then they'll start asking questions. Unless you have something, actually, I'm kind of curious on the high yields on stable coins. Can you kind of explain why we're seeing such high yields in the the stable coin market? People are bullish Bitcoin. That's why they uh, the what what drives the dollar yield or stable coin yield is uh, when the market gets bullish Bitcoin, they buy the leveraged product, which is a perp swap or or a future, um, and then someone needs to needs to, to trade that basis. They need to buy Bitcoin and sell the future and try to bring that spread back down, uh, right? And so, uh, so when the market gets bullish, I need to be borrowing dollars. Because if I borrow dollars, I can then use those dollars to buy Bitcoin, sell future, sell Bitcoin future, market neutral. I don't care if the market goes up or down, but I get to lock in that premium for myself. I can afford to pay the borrow on the dollars and I, you know, help bring that spread back to, uh, you know, a, a more fair value, right? A lower, a lower spread. And um, yeah, so that's what happens. And so obviously I can borrow a stable coin. That works as well. But if you think about it, if you zoom out, what really needs to happen, more fiat needs to make its way into crypto. That's really what's happening. Like fiat becomes stable coin, becomes Bitcoin buying and selling future. So it's really more balance sheet, let's say, balance sheet coming in denominated in dollars, mainly in fiat, uh, coming in to fulfill that, um, you know, that desire for people buying the leveraged product in Bitcoin. So yeah, it, it, it blew out yesterday. I'm sure you saw on the, uh, when Bitcoin broke 10 K, the uh, uh, basis yields on all derivatives went uh, through the roof. Wait for wait for a hundred K. 
There you go. Um, wait, la- last question, and then and then we can we can kind of wrap yeah. it up. I'm just kind of curious. We've been talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum a lot. David and I clearly think that Bitcoin and Ethereum are in a league of their own. Is do you feel the same way? Is it really just Bitcoin and Ethereum in your book, or are there other projects that you think make sense to even yeah. mention in that in that conversation? Uh, I think uh, those two are so far ahead that. Um, yeah, you can. I mean, you you can do some venture stuff maybe early on or um, other things, but those two, two, two are so far ahead that um, like <laughs> the, idea, the idea of an ETH2 killer, for example, um, if you wanted to for fun, you can put a small amount there, but your ETH2 ETH killer ratio should be very much skewed in the favor of ETH. Like it, it would be silly to overweight an ETH killer, I would say. Agreed. All right, Kyle, if people want see to David uh, now, not in the lot here. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a big, big fan. Usually I don't get uh, somebody from a hedge fund being so uh, bullish ETH, but uh, so it's very, very refreshing. So Kyle, appreciate you uh, coming on, coming on the pod. If people want to find out more about you, follow your train of thoughts and follow Three Arrows Capital, where should they go? Uh, well, Sue, Zoo, my partner and I are both on Twitter. Um, and um, we're, we have a website, www.3arrowscap.com. It's quite minimalist, by the way. Um, and we also have, um, uh, I mean, you, you can message us and we're, we're, we'll, we'll respond pretty quick. I've noticed all of the uh, good uh, companies, all the good hedge funds in this space have put relatively little effort into uh, marketing dollars and branding and all that stuff and instead are focusing on building and products and, and stuff like that. So I definitely see three euros in, the, in that crowd. Not, not to shit on your guys' logo. I love it. Um, it's, it's part of, the, uh, part of the, the simplicity. Yeah. No, if you're a prop trading firm, you don't have a lot of clients. You have no investors and few clients. So uh, you don't need to overspend on marketing. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Kyle, thanks again for coming on the show. Um, I personally learned a lot. And although I don't like to hear good things about Ethereum, you know, I I should I should just uh, suck it up and 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 take a lesson. But in general, I, I think the most interesting insights was the dichotomy between how you frame Bitcoin and Ethereum versus how most people in the Ethereum space Everyone, you can find the show at POV CryptoPod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. Give us those five-star reviews so we can finally get over freaking 10K. You can follow me at Trustless State both on Twitter and on Bankless. If you guys noticed, the moment Bitcoin broke over 10K, it immediately fell to 96K, and we are at 96 reviews. We've been telling you guys this is how it works. So, you know, give us those reviews so Bitcoin will stop falling to the level of our reviews. All right, thanks, guys. All right, peace. Appreciate it. Been hard oh man, a while.
Oh, oh.